and took a walk with Jesus on the beach. And during your walk with Jesus, he told you all about his initial idea of the sunrise that he pitched to the Father through the Spirit eons and eons ago. And he described to you his idea that people made in the image of God would wake every day to slowly emerging beautiful rays of light cascading upon their world. You'd be entranced at Jesus' explanation of the sunrise. And suppose that day on that walk with Jesus, you saw right over the first breaking waves, a pod of dolphins jumping together and playing and putting on a show for you like somehow they just knew that you were walking with the king of the universe. And Jesus began to tell you again how his initial conversation with the Father through the Spirit about the joy they had in eternity past as they talked about designing and creating and molding the shape of this beautiful sea creature. And you'd be entranced with Jesus' explanation of the dolphins. And you look to him that day and you say, Jesus, for the sunrise, for those dolphins, for this walk on the beach, I just want to say thank you. And Jesus turns to you and says, before I leave, I want to tell you how you can commune with me and come face to face with the Father and the King of heaven and how you can pour your heart out to him, how you can sense him listening to you and loving you in the midst of everyday, ordinary life. And you'd be entranced with Jesus' explanation of how this could be possible. And you say, Jesus, this would be so tremendous. This would be something I'd never forget in all my years of life. And Jesus looks at you and says, it's in the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer that I teach all my disciples to pray. And as Jesus <clears throat> walks on the water and leaves you behind on the beach, you are embarrassed as you think of it that your familiarity with the Lord's Prayer has kept you all this time from the simple and profound way of praying that Jesus taught his disciples. And you say to yourself, How did I miss this way of prayer? After all, it occurs in Jesus' most famous of his sermons in the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> now, you can either go to sleep or open your eyes. And I don't know if you know that there are actually two forms of the Lord's prayers in the Gospels, a shorter and a longer version. The shorter version actually occurs in Luke chapter 11. It has by my account, 36 words in English compared to the 52 words in Matthew. And what's interesting is that in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, Jesus introduces the prayer like this. He says, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. Which means it has always been right and good and profitable that Christian liturgy for 2,000 years, that disciples of Jesus in thatched root, roof uh, huts and churches in Africa and Asia to stained glass cathedrals in Europe, that, that they have prayed word for word these words of Jesus that he gave his disciples in the Lord's Prayer, saying the very words 
that Jesus taught his disciples. When you pray, say. But Jesus introduces the prayer slightly differently in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In Matthew's gospel, he says, pray then like this. Pray then like this. In other words, all forms of prayer, the basic form of prayer is found in the Lord's prayer. So there is a sense that when we pray, we're praying nothing more, nothing less than the Lord's prayer. Martin Luther once wrote a profound treatise on prayer to his simple barber friend, Peter Birkenstorff. Now, Peter Birkenstorff was a deeply, deeply flawed man. Peter was so flawed, in fact, that one day, while intoxicated, he stabbed his son-in-law to death. Now, many of you father-in-laws have wanted to do the same with your son-in-laws, but you have refrained. Most people have refrained. But the great Martin Luther knew and understood this man enough that this man, too, wanted to live a simple life of prayer. So I hope it's interesting to you. It's interesting to me. What did the great Martin Luther, what advice did he give Peter the barber, this very simple man that wanted to live a simple life of prayer? One of his counsels for Peter the barber was to do a sort of spiritual rifling through the Lord's prayer. Pray then like this. Martin Luther counseled him to personalize each section of the Lord's prayer. Put each section into your own words. First, the address, our Father in heaven. Put those into your own words. And then each six petitions, or some scholars uh, will count seven, Last week we said maybe six petitions are in the Lord's Prayer. Slowly go through all six petitions so that you are bringing your life before God. You see, Martin Luther knew that if Peter the barber was just left to himself, he would only pray about things that were troubling him at the moment of prayer, perhaps his son-in-law. Right? But if... He prayed slowly through the Lord's prayer using his own words. His conversational life with God would open up and he would bring all the facets of his life before God in conversational prayer. And so I wonder if I would pray like this, how Martin Luther counseled Peter the barber, how would I pray today? I might pray something like this, Father, Abba, affectionate and tender Father, I come with the whole church together in prayer today. Lord, I say our Father, and I ask, Lord, that you would preserve the hour of the our Father, even while the church is dispersed during this global pandemic. As our Abba in heaven, I owe you a deep reverence and a true humility as I come before you. You are my Father, but you are also in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Abba, can you make the church holy in all the earth? May you make your holy name holy in all the nations. May the great commission be obeyed that Christians all over the face of the earth might live holy lives that might lift up the name of God as holy in all the earth. 
I might say something like, give us our daily bread. I might ask God to help me live a simple life, to live thankful for what he has given me, to live contented in the circumstance that he has found to place me in during these days. And so by spiritually rifling through the Lord's prayer, we bring all facets of our lives before God in prayer. Forgive us our debts. Remind us to bring those sins that are troubling our lives to God in prayer. As we forgive our debtors, forces me to bring before God my resentments and my grudges and my internal anger. Folks, that we all have these things and the Lord's Prayer forces us to bring to God these things in prayer. So today, let me put the application on the front end of the sermon. Can you spiritually rifle through the Sermon on the Mount this week? Can you address God, not rushing into God in prayer, but addressing God, our Father in heaven? And then make all the subsequent petitions to God as you learn this way of prayer. Families, you might have kids that are still learning just how to say the Lord's Prayer. So this week would be a great opportunity for dinner time. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. But for all of us that already know the words, we can pray then like this, that Jesus challenges us in the simple but profound way of prayer. And so we come today to the second and third petitions. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, 10. And I want to ask, what kind of disciple prays the Lord's Prayer? I don't know if you've noticed that there's a way of praying that is very tame in our culture today. There's a way of praying that doesn't address God as a father, where no sin is named, where the character of God is not highlighted, where there's no rescue or redemption that is needed. And that is a way of praying without the gospel at the center. Rather, the gospel is at the periphery, at the far reaches of this prayer, but the gospel is not at the center. Many of you have heard of the serenity prayer used in many 12-step addiction groups. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, I'm going to pick on the serenity prayer just a little bit, but that's not to say there's not wisdom, great wisdom in the serenity prayer. But compared to the Lord's prayer, the serenity prayer is a very, very tame prayer prayer. The Lord's prayer, on the other hand, sin is named, the character of God is highlighted, and a revolutionary seed is planted deep into the soul of the disciple who dares to pray the second and third petition of the Lord's prayer. The second petition goes like this, your kingdom come. And so the question is, is Jesus suggesting that prayer is more 
for revolutionaries engaged in the overthrow of earthly kingdoms than for comfortable people whose primary goal in life is simply serenity and peace. And if so, I wonder how that changes the way that we pray. When you pray your kingdom come, you are praying for God to pick up the tab in your life. T-A-B. The kingdom of God is totalitarian. The kingdom of God is deeply adversarial to you. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of blessings. When you pray your kingdom come, as you spiritually rifle through this way of praying, you can say, Lord, pick up the tab in my life. First, the kingdom of God is totalitarian. Doesn't it, when we use kingdom language, this has an aroma and a smell of a totalitarian benevolent regime, right? There is a kingdom and there is a king that demands total allegiance. And so when you pray, Father, your kingdom come, what you're saying is Christ be all in all in my life. Christ, help me abandon my pursuits for your pursuits. Christ, help me subversively undermine and overthrow all my kingdoms that I may truly know your kingdom. It's often my kingdom and our kingdoms together which keep us from experiencing the kingdom of God. And so this is a gracious but nonetheless totalitarian regime and reign of God because God longs to occupy every facet of our lives, our family life, our work life, our retirement life, our thought life, our emotional life, all aspects of our lives brought under the lordship of Christ and under the reign of God. Your kingdom come is saying, Christ be all in all to me. Second, the kingdom of God is adversarial. I don't know if you've paid attention in the Gospels when John the Baptist, between, uh, you know, bites of locusts and honey, he is also preaching, just like Jesus, about the kingdom of God. And he always says the kingdom of God, and then he'll tell you to do something. What is that thing? To repent, right? He says in Matthew 3, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so it's interesting that the announcement of this kingdom comes on the heels of the message of repentance. Jesus, though he, he eats no locusts that I know of, uh, Mark 1, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so when you pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. What you're doing is really repenting for all the ways you have made your kingdom primary and God's kingdom secondary. You're asking and you're praying something like this, God, do adversarial battle with me. God, can't you wrestle down my kingdom that yours may come? Do you begin to see how this is a daring and revolutionary prayer? Because if we're honest, no one likes being told, hey, your kingdom must die. Heather, 
your kingdom must die. Dick, your kingdom must die. Don, your kingdom must die. I'll say it to myself, Jason, your kingdom must die. We don't like hearing that. We like God saying, give us a pat on the back. Oh, your kingdom that you're producing, that you're going for it. I'm just going to bless you and your kingdom. No, the kingdom of God is deeply adversarial to us all who dare pray this revolutionary prayer of the Lord's prayer. Now, when you are faced with living for your own kingdom versus living for God's kingdom, there are several different options that might be available to you. And all of these options are always easier than repentance. For instance, regret. Regret is easier than repentance. Regret is feeling bad about the consequences, but but regret is not repentance. Embarrassment is easier than repentance. Perhaps sin takes you down a notch or two amongst your family or your friends or your neighborhood, but embarrassment is not repentance, even though it's easier. An apology is easier than repentance. I'm sorry if you were offended. I'm sorry that you're so sensitive. Right? These are, you know, like often repeated great apologies, right, in life. Just because someone issued an apology doesn't mean they've repented and changed their minds and done a 180 and turned in the other direction. And so this kingdom of God is totalitarian. It has the aroma of complete allegiance. Lord, help me submit to you. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is deeply adversarial and it calls us to repentance. The kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist, Jesus said, now you have something to do. It's repent. And third, and very graciously, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of blessing. Pastor Steve read for us 1 Samuel 8. Remember when all the people of God, the Israel, was asking and clamoring for, hey, can you just give us a king? We, can, we want to be like other nations. Give us a king. Give us a king. And so finally Samuel relented. But he warned them. He's saying, when you have a king, there's going to be certain things that go on in the nation's life. Did you get what all he said to Israel? He said, the king, he's going to take your sons. And some will work for his charioteers and some will feed his horses. He's going to take your daughters as cooks and bakers. He's going to take your sons to plow the ground and make implements of war. He's going to take a tenth of your grain. He's going to take your servants. He's going to take your donkeys. And so you get to the end of this and you're like, wow, what do earthly kingdoms always do? They take, they take, they take, and they take. And the Bible says you become a slave to every idol and every earthly kingdom that owns you. You think you're free, you're not free. And it's only God's kingdom that bestows blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon your life. Remember, Jesus is sharing about how to live in the kingdom of God, in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember how he begins, blessed are you, blessed are you, 
Blessed are you nine times. He wants to make sure that you understand that when you live in this kingdom, there is from the very outset in your life a kingdom of blessing. And so we can pray this deeply adversarial prayer and we can acknowledge that this is a totalitarian regime that requires all my allegiance because deep down we know that God is for us and he has blessing upon blessing to pour out in our lives if we would only do it his way and live for his kingdom, not my kingdom. Your kingdom come. And then Jesus adds the third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's this bold qualifier that's actually qualifying your uh, name being hallowed, your kingdom coming, and your will be done. The question is, what does it mean to pray the third petition, your will be done? Will of God in scriptures has two primary meanings. First meaning is the sovereign will of God. As when the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, that God works all things according to the counsel of His will. God creating the heavens and the earth. God sending Jesus. God working all things for good. The sovereign will of God can never be challenged or interrupted. Psalm 135 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the sea, and in all deeps. In other words, do you think you're praying for God's sovereign will to be accomplished when you pray the Lord's Prayer? Not. No, you are not praying this kind of prayer because this sovereign will of God is already happening whether you like it or not, whether you recognize it or not. The sovereign will of God is occurring in the course of history. And so the second primary meaning, and this is what you are really praying when you say your will be done, is refers in Scripture to God's revealed will. The revealed will of God for you. What does this mean? This means the Ten Commandments are part of the revealed will of God. It means scriptures like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God. What? Your sanctification. In other words, we know that the will of God is that we would grow up and walk into the grace of God in our lives, that we would become more and more like little Christ that reflect the image of Jesus. The revealed will of God is to be found even in the Sermon on the Mount as we live it out, as we become peacemakers, as we become merciful, as we become salt of the earth and light of the world. In the context of this Lord's Prayer, the greatest context is, Lord, help me live your revealed will in the very sermon that you're giving right now. When my kids were younger, we used to tell them what kind of obedience mom and dad longed for. I don't know where we picked this up. We probably borrowed it from somewhere. But we told our kids, our boys, we want obedience that is done quickly, completely, and joyfully. Now, this often didn't work, but sometimes it actually did. And what it meant was this. We want 
things done that we say, not 30 minutes from now, not an hour from now. We want it done quickly. And when we say, hey, can you clean your room? We don't want to check like 15 times to see if the room is done, right? We want to see this done completely the first time, quickly, completely. And then what's the last one? We want obedience that is joyfully done, right? Without slammed doors, without begrudging, you know, mom and dad, without the, the stomping of the feet and the yelling through the, the lungs. We wanted obedience that was quickly, completely, and joyfully done. And so, in like manner, when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In a sense, we're praying, God, can you reshape and mold my life so that I do your will just like the saints in heaven do your will, just like all the angels in heaven do your will? Lord, can you mold my life because often I drag my feet and I don't do it joyfully and I don't do it completely, right? And you're saying, your will be done. Help me do your will quickly, completely, and joyfully. This is what you are praying when you say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this week, I challenge you, maybe before you get up in the morning, before your feet hit the floor just to pray like this. Pray through the Lord's Prayer. Begin not rushing in to pray all about your own concerns. There's an address to God in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven. Put the address in your own words. And then spiritually rifle through all the petitions of the Lord's prayer, and then you will begin to pray in the way of Jesus, a simple yet thoroughly profound way of connecting with the Father. And the good news is that as you thought <clears throat> at the beginning of you walking with Jesus on the beach, this can actually be a reality in your life. And the good news is you don't even have to walk on the beach. You can be driving in your car. You can be doing a number of different things, praying through the Lord's prayer. You know what? God promises to listen. God promises that he will listen to you, this way of praying the Lord's prayer. Let's go to God in prayer.